28, Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at a familiar text as we prepare for baptism this morning, the baptism of Mia Marks. We're grateful to be gathered together and celebrate this ordinance. It is a special time in the life of a church, and I I hope you recognize that in this time, it's an opportunity for us to again to rehearse the gospel, not just a gospel that's available out there, but it's a gospel that's been applied to our lives, that continues to work and shape and change us. In February of 1812, Adoniram and Anne Judson set sail for India to begin their lives together as believers committed to sharing the gospel with those who needed to hear of Christ on a foreign field. They'd been convinced of God's call in their lives to serve him in foreign missions and had been sent out from the congregational church. They'd heard of William Carey and they wanted to go to India and join him in his work. Their voyage across the oceans would take four months. They used that time on the ship to study God's word, to pray, and they made specific study, a special study of this idea of baptism. Their goal, their intention was to convince William Carey, a Baptist by conviction, of their view and practice of infant baptism. They began to study the Greek word for baptism in the New Testament. And over time, after studying that evidence, they'd been, they were convinced that they had been in error. They arrived in India committed to believers' baptism. Now they had to write back home to the churches that had sent them and share this change of conviction, this change of belief that caused them to lose the support of those churches. This was a costly change, a costly conviction. Yet through the help of another friend, Luther Rice, they were able to raise support from other like-minded churches, like-convinced churches, and they eventually then years later settled in Burma and served the Lord there for many years. This raises the question for us that I want us to consider this morning. What is the significance of baptism? How important is it? What should it mean for you to see another believer getting baptized in our church family this morning? How is it meant to encourage you, to strengthen your faith? Should it provide any ongoing encouragement in your life? We're going to affirm what we've said before as we've looked at baptism, that baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. Baptism gets its meaning and importance from the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our place for our sins and from his triumph over death in the resurrection. That guarantees us now new and everlasting life. So even as we begin, I want us to see this is more than some mere tradition. This is more than some mere religious observance. This is celebrating nothing less than Christ's work on our behalf. That's what it's to picture. That we've seen that and believed that and that is changing us. Baptism has meaning and importance only because the death and resurrection of Jesus are infinitely important for our rescue from God's righteous wrath. Our attention then in this service should be 
on our Christ and his magnificent work of salvation. Now, I want us to just, as we begin, get a 30,000 foot view of this ordinance and think again, what is it we're actually seeing? I've explained before as we've talked with baptismal candidates, this seems awfully strange, doesn't it? That we say to follow Christ, you need to hop in a pool and get wet. You go under the water, you come up soaking wet, you look a little odd, you would never do this in public, right? Why is this God's idea for us? What is he trying to communicate in this ordinance? Consider his kindness in this gift. God is certainly not unclear in his mind about our eternal destiny. Nor does he ever struggle to know if we have truly placed our faith in him. This isn't for us to first and foremost tell him something that's going on inside of us. So why then does he command us to practice this visible picture of the gospel again and again? It is his gift to us whereby he confirms to us the truths of the gospel being worked out. He wants us to see and hear and for Mia to even feel that these truths are real. That his saving grace is a reality. We sometimes have a hard time not walking by sight. God gives us aids in these ordinances to see and touch his means of grace, to say these are real. A confession of faith from all the way back in 1561 explains the ordinances in this similar way. It says, we believe that our gracious God, taking account of our weakness and infirmities, has designed the ordinances for us to affirm to us his promises and to be physical, tangible promises of his grace towards us. These gospel pictures nourish and strengthen our faith. When we combine these living pictures with the word of the gospel, his spirit confirms in us the salvation that he has given to us. This is to be like a neon sign flashing over that pool. Gospel, gospel, gospel. God rescues sinners. That's a real thing. Jesus Christ is the true object presented in these ordinances. Without them, they would be of no moment or significance. This morning, we'll briefly consider five aspects of what baptism signifies or portrays for the strengthening of our faith. First, baptism demonstrates submission to Christ. Let's look at our text. We'll read verses 16 through 20. I'd encourage you, because this is so familiar, pay careful attention as we read these verses again. Matthew 28, 16. This is the word of our God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's ask for his help as we consider this ordinance together this morning. Father, Father, 
we come before you confessing our need. We have seen this picture before. It's easy for us to fall into habits that come to this time without careful, intentional thinking. Lord, guide our minds to see the beauty of the gospel demonstrated in all the many ways we see it in this picture. Lord, I pray that you would call to mind picture after picture, truth after truth, that you've washed us, you've rescued us from death, you've made us alive with Christ, that we are his, you've bought us with a price, we're to obey you, we are to be committed to you as our king. Lord, I pray that we would see this ordinance as the gift you intend it to be. May we recognize your kindness, your words of grace to us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. First, we believe that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. What we mean by this is that the Lord Jesus commanded it. Notice, he states, with great authority, all authority has been given to me. Notice the words all or always in these two verses of 19 and 20. They're stated four times. Jesus is wanting to make it clear. All authority in heaven and on earth. There's no place in heaven where he is not king. There's no place on earth where he doesn't have rights to say, that's mine. All authority belongs to Jesus. So then this king gives a command. This staggering authority leaves nothing outside of it and our king gives us a command. That's to dominate and control and to lead and guide our lives. He says, make disciples. It's the main verb in verse 19. Having gone or going, make disciples of all nations. The defining actions then around this central command are baptizing them and teaching them. The church then is commanded to do this for all disciples. Whether we fully understand this picture or not, we don't get to say whether we do it or not. It's a command from the king of all kings. So we obey. Making disciples of all nations includes then baptizing them. And notice the time frame is defined by the promise of Christ's presence and help in verse 20. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the promise of help is for as long as this age lasts. The command he promised to help you with is as long as this age lasts. You're not going making disciples on your own. And then regarding baptism, it's a command and ordinance of the Lord Jesus Christ to be performed with making disciples until he returns. When a believer gets baptized then, he's publicly declaring, I am with King Jesus. He's my Lord. I will follow. I will obey everything he's commanded. That's a big promise. That's quite the commitment. A Christian in this ordinance is putting on that team jersey publicly and making it known that he intends to follow Christ with his people for the rest of his life. This is a one-time act. I will follow. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So in baptism, we're making this picture public. This declaration now becomes public. We're demonstrating a complete submission to the authority of King Jesus. So for us this morning, baptism signifies both Mia's commitment to submit to Christ and it reminds us that we have made that commitment as well. When we see that baptism, we're supposed to say, I must follow my king. And where he reminds us of areas where I am not following, I am not obeying, I confess and repent. Second, baptism demonstrates union with Christ. It expresses our union that we are in him, that we are buried with him, that we are raised with him. We see this in Romans 6, 3, and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Death to what? Sin. Our own way. And sin's penalty. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might now walk in newness of life. We're not the same person. We don't have the same authority, the same driver leading our lives. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God in our bodies because it's his. Now, this text is not saying water baptism is the means of our being united to Christ. It's not what makes us united to Christ. In Romans, faith is the means or the tool that God uses to unite us to him and justifies us. But we show We signify, we symbolize, we demonstrate this faith with the act of baptism. Our faith unites us to Christ. Baptism pictures that union. An analogy would be saying, with this ring, I thee wed. When we say that at a marriage ceremony, we don't mean that the ring or the putting on of the ring on the finger is what makes us married. No, it shows the covenant It shows the promise that I'm making in that ceremony. The covenant-making vows make the marriage. So it is with faith and baptism. When we're united to Christ, we're also united to his people. One author notes, baptism also publicly initiates a believer's entrance into the visible church. It brings them in. It pictures what's happened when a believer gets saved. They're entered into the invisible church. All the saints from all time across the world. This is picturing that. It is a church's way of acknowledging that an individual has made a credible profession of faith and shown evidence of true belief. It's the means through which the church declares, we believe this person professes the true gospel. And so is a true Christian. So do you recognize why we as a body are to take this ordinance seriously? To recognize what we're handling here. To to examine candidates very carefully. To look for credible professions of faith. 
Together, we are helping affirm the truth of salvation in an individual's life. There is danger in affirming salvation and offering assurance if there is no salvation. So we cannot take this responsibility lightly. If this is what baptism is all about, then it's no small thing for a church to baptize someone. Author Tim Challies makes this application. When a church takes baptism seriously, this baptism becomes a pillar or monument the Christian can look back on later in life. The church is serving that believer. When times are difficult, when assurance is lacking, when faith is wavering, we can encourage that person to look. Look back and remember when you professed on that day who you loved as you went under those waters. Look back and remember what you testified. Look back and see the people that you loved and trusted had heard your testimony and they were convinced it was true. Look back and believe today what you believed then. This kind of encouragement is strengthened among those who've been baptized in a church that carefully guards this ordinance. Third, baptism demonstrates death, burial, and resurrection. This expression of union with Christ in his death and resurrection happens, as we read in Romans 6, in in this baptismal pool. This is meant to be worked out in the life of every believer. It's not just some objective truth with no application to our lives. Baptism means a new and different relationship concerning my affections for sin. I can no longer think of sin the same way as I used to. I've been made new. I'm a new creation in Christ. All things are made new. Old things are passed away. The old me loved sin and served it willingly, gladly. But the new me hates the remaining sin in my life. The old me had been executed in baptism, never to live to myself again. Once alive to sin, I am now dead to it. Baptism is my declaration of that new allegiance. I've turned from sin in repentance, dead to its penalty and passions. Do I recognize that's what I'm saying? That's what we're seeing? That's what we're remembering? That's what we're recommitting to? I am dead to sins. It has no authority in my life. I don't have to give in. Fourth, baptism demonstrates a new name. Pastor and author Sinclair Ferguson recounts a story. He had a a, a story. He had an interaction with a doctoral student from Asia. He said, I knew him as Timothy, but one day when I felt I'd come to know him well enough, I asked him, Timothy, what's your real name? Timothy's not really an Asian name, is it? He smiled and said, Timothy. I smiled back, knowing he would see that I wasn't convinced that this was the whole truth. Come on, tell me, what is your real name? Again, he replied, Timothy. So I tried a different maneuver. What is the name your parents registered for you? This time he responded with his native Asian name. Despite feeling we were in the end game of a little chess match and that somehow he had a secret move up his sleeve, I said, so that's your real name? No, he said. And then he theologically checkmated me. Timothy is my real name. That's the name I was given when I was baptized. 
Ferguson concludes, the name you are given at your baptism is even more important than the name by which your birth was registered. Think about this for a moment. Timothy's baptismal name had not changed Timothy's heart any more than his ethnic name had. But since the day of his baptism, it had reminded him who he was as a Christian. This is your identity. This is your name. And he was called to live in light of that new name. Now you might think from this, Ferguson continues, that it would be a neat idea to give people a new name when they're baptized. But we don't need to do that because that has already happened. Your own baptism was a naming ceremony. You see, you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That naming ceremony, though, no more changed your heart than did the name you were given at birth. But like the registration of your family name, this new name expresses who you really are as a Christian believer. It's a constant reminder to you of the family to which you belong and what it means to be a part of it. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's special, isn't it? Our baptism is meant to be a daily reminder of this. I am Christ. I bear his name. He's adopted me into his family. I need to live up to that name. Lastly, baptism demonstrates our faith. Baptism is an expression of faith and therefore is only for believers. We believe that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express that faith publicly. Our understanding of the New Testament is that the meaning of baptism includes the fact that it is an expression of belief of the one being baptized. That's why we ask for testimonies. We want to make that clear. Faith is the key aspect. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is not something an unbeliever can do. This is not something an infant can do. This is why we do not baptize infants. Now, we certainly don't teach that baptism saves. It's symbolic of our salvation. It does not itself affect or accomplish purification, identification, or incorporation, but it symbolizes that all these things have been accomplished by faith. Faith is the reality. Baptism is the symbol of that faith. So baptism is an outward sign or demonstration of an inward belief or reality. As we hear Mia's testimony in just a moment, the testimony of other believers about the fruit that they have seen in her life. As we watch her be baptized, she'll go under the water and be raised again. Consider how our Lord would have you respond. Remember the commitments you've made to Christ and his people. Renew those commitments even again this morning. You bear his name. In the waters of baptism, you professed that you were a follower of Christ, committed to obeying him in all that he's commanded. Where might you have forgotten that commitment of obedience in your life? Where do you need to repent? 
when we view the gospel rightly, it humbles us in a way that nothing else can. It tells you who you are with unadulterated clarity and truth. It shows you your need. And yet at the same time, it tells us of the provision of Christ. So remember as well that what is being pictured here is our being united to Christ. He's forgiven every one of your sins. There's washing being pictured here. There's cleansing. We're to rejoice that we are eternally included in his family. That's the picture. Forever, we're a part of a family. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve that. We see in this that he is our God and we are his people and we couldn't have accomplished that on our own. So as we watch this baptism, yes, be humbled, but give thanks for the gospel work that he's accomplished in your heart and in our hearts. Let's rejoice in the gospel that we're to see demonstrated here in this ordinance this morning. Let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, we rejoice in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in his work for us being portrayed here in this picture, in this living picture, in this symbol. We're so grateful for these truths that we can rehearse again and see. Pray that they would encourage us and affirm our faith, that it would build us up and strengthen us as we remember what Christ has done and only he could do. Remind us that we are yours and not our own. We're to live for you and you alone. I pray for Mia, you would strengthen her faith, encourage her, build her up, make this day one that she will remember. I pray that you would strengthen our faith as we rehearse these truths in sight again. In Jesus' name, amen.